When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, sure, Tom. So uh, this is all about a whistleblower retaliation lawsuit filed against J.P. Morgan by a former compliance officer there. Her name was Shaquala Williams. And Ms. Williams worked for J.P. Morgan in 2018 and 2019, I think for about 15 to 18 months. In this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, Tom and Matt take a look at the response of J.P. Morgan to a whistleblower lawsuit filed by Sequala Williams. In an earlier podcast, we looked at the allegations of the whistleblower about her alleged termination for making whistleblower reports. And in this episode, we take a look at J.P. Morgan's legal response. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. And boy, we're going to geek out today. We get compliance, we get law, we get everything. It doesn't get any better than this. We're going to explore, or rather continue to explore, the uh, whistleblower suit against J.P. Morgan. Uh, J.P. Morgan filed a response, and Matt wrote about it, and there's lots to talk about. So, Matt, uh, you want to set the stage for our listeners again? Yeah, sure, Tom. So uh, this is all about a whistleblower retaliation lawsuit filed against J.P. Morgan by a former compliance officer there. Her name was Shaquala Williams. And Ms. Williams worked for J.P. Morgan in 2018 and 2019, I think for about 15 to 18 months, uh, where she was in charge of overseeing and managing and looking at J.P. Morgan's third-party intermediary program and preparing various reports on it, looking at weaknesses in the program, things like that. Uh, and according to Ms. Williams, who filed her complaint against J.P. Morgan last fall, uh, as soon as she arrived in 2018, uh, she started noticing some significant, she said, weaknesses in J.P. Morgan's uh, compliance program. She was talking about poor invoice controls. She was talking about uh, improper policies and procedures, uh, all sorts of poor oversight over third parties, things like that. So that is what she had said that she raised to more senior compliance officers at J.P. Morgan. Uh, and then, she says, they first ostracized her, downplayed the significance of her complaints, um, told her not to push forward with raising these complaints internally. And when she did anyways, Ms. Williams said, she first received poor performance reviews, and then subsequently she was fired in November 2019. Now, that is all Shaquala Williams complaint against J.P. Morgan that she filed last, I think it was, November. Uh, so just a couple of days ago, I think at the very end of April or early May, J.P. Morgan filed a response. Uh, it filed a motion to dismiss. This, I think, is being heard in federal court in New York, where basically J.P. Morgan focused all on Shaquala Williams' uh, complaints about retaliation. 
And they basically said that, uh, no, actually, she was a terrible employee. She had all sorts of issues that we tried to work with her on around poor performance. And regardless of any SOX compliance issues or um, anti-corruption compliance issues that may or may not be an issue with J.P. Morgan, regardless of the substance of what she said about our compliance program, Ms. Williams was so bad as an employee, and we can give some examples if we want, uh, that J.P. Morgan said, basically, we were well within our rights and had no choice but to fire her for poor performance regardless. So therefore, this case should be dismissed. Now, that is J.P. Morgan's response to Ms. Williams' complaints uh, that she filed last fall. And Tom, since we did a whole podcast on her original lawsuit uh, back in November, it's only fair that we should revisit it here again and see what J.P. Morgan had to say in response. So here we are. I can only say that uh, the fairness doctrine still exists in journalism and indeed in the podcast and blogging world. So there you go. So, Matt, I guess what I got out of the uh, complaint, and we'll link to that, uh, it's in your uh, blog post as well, and I read it, is um, she was not liked. And no. uh, they went out of their way to sh- say she was not liked. Uh, not being liked is not a reason to fire someone, typically. Uh, at least it's not a legally protected reason. And um, the interesting thing, that interesting legal position that Morgan took for me was um, it doesn't matter whether she engaged in protected activity or not because she was so disliked and she was communicated that she was disliked and she didn't change the fact that she was disliked, that's enough to fire her. And if that's the Mm -hmm. basis of a termination uh, from someone who uh, the the defendant here, J.P. Morgan's admits engaged in protected uh, activity, that's that's a pretty far leap for uh, uh, and a pretty big change in employment law. Well, it is a shame, Tom, that neither you nor I are veteran career and labor employment lawyers, because I would love to get their perspective on this. And I'm not a lawyer at all. I would say, so J.P. Morgan was very careful in how it talked about the actual substance of the compliance weaknesses that Ms. Williams raised. Uh, J.P. Morgan did say that it investigated those issues did not really say what it has or hasn't found to be a problem there. Um, But I'll read from, I think, a a very good telling part of J.P. Morgan's response. It was right up near the top of its uh, reply here. Far from retaliating against the plaintiff, J.P. Morgan said, "Um, the bank devoted an extraordinary amount of resources to considering, understanding, investigating, and responding to the plaintiff about any concerns she raised. And that's pretty much all they say about Okay, yeah, but what did you actually find, J.P. Morgan? Did you find that all of her issues were uh, not valid? Did you find that they all were valid? Like, we we don't really get much sense from J.P. Morgan about that. Uh, But then they go on to say, nothing about the plaintiff's complaints, however, excuse her from the legitimate consequences of her performance and behavioral deficiencies or give plaintiff license to act rude and unprofessional to coworkers, push her work onto others, or refuse to collaborate with key stakeholders. Uh, Then this reply is about 29 pages long, and I would say 28.8 pages of that 
are all about some really unflattering examples and evidence and details and rebuttals and allegations that J.P. Morgan has on what it says are Ms. Williams' poor performance. Um, how much of that is true? I don't know. Tom, you don't know. Nobody listening knows other than people who might be directly involved with the case. We only have the allegations going back and forth here. But for, for example, um, at one point, Morgan says, um, Ms. Williams went and proposed to a compliance program weakness that she saw, and she took that to her boss, and her boss supposedly replied, well, how are we actually going to implement that? And she said, that's not my problem. That's for the seniors to figure out. And she actually said, quote unquote, it's not my problem. And one of the more senior managers in the compliance function, not even her own boss, but people several pegs above that, she said, they can have that battle. And then she's out. And there were other allegations that she uh, would not work um, you know, with various people on projects. She was refusing to collaborate. She came across as very prickly and difficult to deal with. So other colleagues of hers were complaining to managers that they didn't want to work with Ms. Williams or that she wouldn't work with them. Um, in typical HR stuff, perhaps, absent any discussion, program weaknesses and is this retaliation or not, if it was just any employee with these sorts of issues, you maybe you could make a good case that, yeah, HR would say fire this person, regardless of who they are or where they're working or anything else. All else being equal, it doesn't look like she was a good employee, according to J.P. Morgan. It, it, what's really interesting to me is that she spends a lot of her original complaint of what was wrong. And J.P. Morgan talks all about, in its response, all of her issues and why she was an employee that should who should have been terminated. Uh, so they're talking past each other here. And ultimately, I guess this is for labor lawyers and a federal judge somewhere to sift out. Uh, but yeah, you're right that this could be a significant thing if a, if a judge grants the motion to dismiss or even if they don't and it goes to trial and J.P. Morgan wins, then you could see a whole lot of other companies starting to say, well, yeah, maybe they were a legitimate whistleblower, but they were also terrible as an employee, so we fired them. That could certainly be a precedent that's going to be set up here. So even with the angels of death at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, the test is, for Sox, was the complaint made in good faith? Not that the complaint was correct about the compliance program, not that they were right, not that even anything was done. It is, did you have a good faith belief in the statements you brought forward as a whistleblower or internally reporting? And so if that's the test, uh, that trumps all. It doesn't matter what J.P. Morgan did or didn't do. It doesn't matter whether they investigated or didn't. It didn't, doesn't matter whether they uh, remediated or didn't remediate. If the whistleblower reports uh, in good faith, and by all indications, uh, even Morgan admits she met her Sox burden for the purposes of their argument. But here's the, maybe this is what has never been determined. Um, and I get to go into advanced legalese here, or at least yeah. geekism, which is, is this the but-for test? Would she been, have been fired uh, but for her report? Typically, when you have a whistleblower, that gives you a presumption or a status 
of presumption that you're in a protected category. Now that presumption can be overcome. Um, if, if it turns out your whistleblower report was not made in good faith or you didn't turn it in or it didn't get to the right um, people or persons within your organization. Morgan admits all of that occurred. She did whistleblow. She did report. Uh, they even, as you said, uh, uh, mentioned that or, or said for the purposes of our motion, we admit she's met her burden. Mm-hmm. And, but it doesn't matter because she was so bad, we had the right to fire her anyway. Well, if if that is true, then you basically have no protection uh, if you have a documented case uh, to fire somebody. Now, this is not Sanford Wadler at, um, I think it was uh, BioRad, where they agenda up a report six months after he was terminated to show what a bad employee uh, he was. There appear to be contemporaneous records uh, <clears throat> of her conduct uh, that now Morgan is putting forward in his motion. Yep. But if a company can overcome the presumption of protected status of a whistleblower by dot saying and convincing a jury that, you know, you're just a bad person and a bad employee, we have the right to fire you anyway, that pretty much eviscerates the whistleblower protection. Well, that certainly is a very valid point to raise here. Um, you know, I'll even quote another part passage from Slate it to plain English afterwards, by all means. But um J.P. Morgan does not contend that there is no genuine issue of material fact as to whether plaintiff engaged in any SOX protected activity at all. I love the use of the double negative there. Rather, J.P. Morgan contends that no reasonable jury could find that any complaint relating to one of the laws enumerated by SOX was a contributing factor to any alleged adverse action, close quote. So, there's a lot of verbal jujitsu that is going on with J.P. Morgan's uh, reply there. I, I do think, you know, that one point is, did the complainant, did the whistleblower come forward in good faith or not? I think a key issue there would be, well, then what did they actually say? If your compliance program is not effective, as the whistleblower is saying, then yeah, of course they're going to come forward in good faith. Now, if J.P. Morgan or any other company could easily procure proof that our program has been working fine all the way through, then maybe you might have more of an argument that, no, this person wasn't acting in good faith. I don't see any of that here. J.P. Morgan is remarkably silent on the actual functioning of its compliance program and what problems it may or may not have. Uh, so I I don't know what they're doing here, what their strategy is. May, Tom, you ask me, but maybe if they somehow survive a motion to dismiss, or she, Miss Williams, survives this and it goes to trial, I could see maybe a jury rather than a federal judge thinking more like, okay, employee X here is a train wreck, so sure, the company should have fired that person. I could see that maybe working if you get all the way to a jury of you know, just regular people as opposed to navigating the more nuanced perspective of federal judges and all of the tests and strictures that they're working under. I, I don't know what you think. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more compliance into the weeds. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and 
What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So it depends on whether, uh, if there's a burden, uh, a burden shifts. So if the plaintiff brings a claim and they are protected, then does the burden shift for the defendant to claim that claim either they didn't meet their status as protected category, meaning the whistleblower complaint was not made in good faith, or uh, does the burden then shift to the defendant to allow them to say it doesn't matter whether they were in good faith or not. We had a reason to fire anyway for something else. And if it shift, if it's that second scenario, that I think is going to change uh, whistleblower law and the protections afforded whistleblowers. And that may be the issue that has never been fully decided because it seems to me we have at least arguments, as you said, they're both making arguments. Plaintiffs saying, I'm in a protected status now because I made a whistleblower report. Bank saying, doesn't matter. You may be, but you were not a good enough employee to stay employed here. You were counseled. You were given the opportunity to Im improve or remediate your own conduct. You didn't do so, and we terminated you. Um, and it, we may have never had this stark situation because almost all of the other times we've had these types of cases go to trial, the defense has tried to claim there was no protected status because the report was not made in good faith. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think first we have to acknowledge that it's theoretically possible. Both things could be true at the same time. You could be in a protected class and still be an awful, terrible, inept employee. There, I'm sure somebody out there would fit that profile. Um, but, you know, it raises some interesting questions. Like, let's say that you are a protected whistleblower and you're also a really terrible employee. So are we going to then say the company obligation to keep you in your job just on those grounds alone? Um, you know, I mean, let's say you're a terrible brain surgeon and you report something. Are we going to let a doctor keep performing surgeries on patients just because they're a protected class? Or if you put that doctor on, I don't know, administrative leave, well, for how long? For years? Uh, you know, are they going to be paid leave? Is it going to be unpaid leave? But it raises some interesting questions here about what are we supposed to do with them, with whistleblowers who are also at the same time not good employees. And I don't know what the cases are about J.P. Morgan. I assume that really, but such whistleblowers do exist somewhere in the universe out there that they are both speaking up, which is good, and they're terrible when the company is not wrong to say, you know, are we supposed to keep this person on payroll forever? Um, there are also some employees out there who abuse the whistleblower system. Um, I don't think that there are many people out there who do, but it wouldn't be the first time he has claimed protected status solely to protect their job because they were going to get fired. That does happen. That does go on. Nobody likes to talk about it, except for we here on Compliance Into the Weeds. But it is a thing that goes on from time to time, and companies need to figure out a solution to deal with those people somehow. So, and, and it's that, that dynamic tension that is at stark uh, contrast here uh, that we may get a, a ruling on. 
mm-hmm. uh, whether or not one, one trumps the other. And I don't think we've ever had a final determination on that. Um, what we don't know is um, really we have Morgan's story about her deficiencies as an employee. We have her version of the reporting that she made uh, uh, whistleblower reports that she made about her view of deficiencies in the compliance program. You're correct. We do not know what Morgan's response to any of her complaints was, uh, whether they engaged in remediation or not. But um, with these two stark contrasts, we may be heading towards a trial where first a judge has to rule on the legal questions and then a jury uh, has to sort out whatever factual issues the judge leaves for them to determine. And Tom, if I could just add one more wrinkle here for J.P. Morgan, is that at the time all of these alleged uh, compliance program deficiencies were happening and Ms. Williams was trying to raise it and they were being, were they retaliating against her or not? At the time all of this drama was happening, J.P. Morgan was under a non-prosecution agreement for prior FCPA misconduct. So if it somehow comes out that actually, yes, they had significant issues or that, yes, they retaliated against the whistleblower, I can't imagine the Justice Department is going to look on that favorably. I don't know what they would do now because I think the the three-year NPA has expired. Maybe you have some views on that. But like this is something that J.P. Morgan has to think about. And there's an added layer of complexity here. And you're absolutely right. And and all of that, of course, would come out in trial if we got that far and first in discovery and then at trial. So um, uh, I think the uh, MPA has expired. That was the sons and daughters case, I believe, uh, that they were under an MPA for. But um, yeah, all added to, as you said, complexity to the mix. All right. So there you go. Well, uh, that was fun. All right. Uh, let's see what next week brings, Matt. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. We've linked to Matt's blog post in the show notes, so I hope you will check that out for additional information. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave a review as it would help in our rankings to get out word about this most unique podcast in compliance. Compliance Into the Weeds post weekly at Wednesday at 6 a.m. on the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you will plan to join Matt and I again next week where we take another deep dive into a compliance topic into the weeds. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>